We're beginning chapter 9 of the book of Shmuel. We saw in the previous chapter, the people want a king. Shmuel isn't happy about that. He tries to talk him out of it. Hashem isn't pleased that the people ask for a king as well. Despite that, Hashem says to Shmuel, let's go ahead with this. Those are the last words at the end of chapter 8. You shall make for them a king. And now in chapter 9, we're going to meet that king. And it opens like this, chapter 9, verse 1. And there was a man from Binyamin. And when it says a man from Binyamin, Ish Binyamin, it could mean the tribe of Binyamin. It usually means here Eretz Binyamin. He's from the land of Binyamin, which is northern Jerusalem, let's say from the Temple Mount to Beit El. That's the portion of Binyamin. Ushmo Kish, and his name was Kish. So we open up, not speaking about Saul, but speaking about his father. His father's name was Kish, and he's from the tribe of Binyamin and Eretz Binyamin. And now the verse continues to give over what is the lineage of Kish. And Kish is Ben Aviel, the son of Aviel, who is the son of Tzror, Ben Bechorat, who is the son of Bechorat. And just to pause for a moment on this name Bechorat, Bechor or Becher, with a chaf, not a chet. That's one of the names of the sons of the original Benjamin son of Yaakov. He had a son named Becher. Let's go on, Bechorat ben Afiach. Bechorat was the son of Afiach. Ben Ishimini. And after all that lineage and that Yichus, we say he was a Ben Ishimini. He was a man of Benjamin, Gibor Chayel, a mighty man of strength. So this is a prestigious family from Benjamin. Why do we repeat that he's an Ishimini? The Mitzvah David comments, Rotzelamar, Ben Adam Gadol, a great man, Mibnei Benjamin, from the tribe of Benjamin. So Kish himself, the father of Saul, is one of the heavy hitters in the tribe of Benjamin. And we conclude the verse after saying that Kish was a Ish Yemini, he was a Gibor Chayel, a mighty man of valor or a mighty man of strength. So right off the bat, in describing Kish, the father of Saul, when you go through the lineage like that, you're talking about an important person and an important family and somebody from really good stock. And at the end of the verse, he's described as a Gibor Chayel. And the simple understanding of a Gibor Chayel, as Dat Mikras says, Lochem Noaz, a very brave fighter, but it has more significance. Gibor Chayel is somebody who's Nechbad Va'atzil. He's noble and respected. And that's how we describe Boaz from the book of Ruth as a Gibor Chayel. That was a judge, an important, respected person. Verse 2, Velo Hayaben. And this man, whose name is Kish, had a son, Ushmo Shaul, whose name was Saul, Bachor Vetov, who was young, a Bachor, or from the word Nifchar, chosen, Vetov, and very handsome. There ain't Ish mibnei Yisrael tov mimenu. There was no one from the children of Israel who was tov mimenu, either better looking than him or better than him. This man Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. And that's meant literally, he was very tall, and figuratively as well. In his midot, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. So we want to examine this verse because it describes the future king of Israel, Saul. And verses 1 and 2 here, they have one purpose in mind. And that's to let us know why Saul was chosen to be the first king of Israel. The verses want to show us that he was the complete package. Now you may be thinking, hey, wait a minute. They did wrong by asking for a king. The last chapter was all about how bad it was that they asked for a king. Yes, we saw their motive was wrong. But because it's a mitzvah to have a king, Hashem is letting it happen. And he is going to give him the best guy out there. That's what these verses are showing us. So let's go back to verse 2 and see what's so special about Saul. It opens up that this Kish had a son, Ushmo Shaul. His name was Saul. His name was Shaul. And Shaul is derived from the word Shoel, which means asks. So the name means 
I ask Hashem for a son. And then it says, And that probably has so many different translations, all positive ones. Literally, means a young man, but it also comes from the word chosen, he's choice, he's choice meat, he's special. Like Am Nivchar, a chosen people, this is a chosen man. And then it says, he was good. And on that term, chosen and good, the Mitzudat David says, this is talking about his beauty. He was very, very handsome. As a matter of fact, he's considered one of the most handsomest men in the Bible. The others being Yosef, Avshalom, Daniel. I forgot the other ones, but you can see in these verses explicitly, and we'll see later on, that Saul was very impressive in his appearance. And the verse here really makes no bones about it, saying there was no one of the children of Israel better than him or handsomer than him. Again, it depends how you define the word tov. And going back to that description that Shaul was bachor, we said that literally can mean that he was a young man. He was a bachor. And the Malbim says about that, that even though he was a young man, and that's a time when the person has a strong Yetzahara and all kinds of physical lusts, he overcame all that. And let's look at the words of the Malbim inside. He was a hot-blooded young man. Nonetheless, even so, he was still very good with man and with Hashem. He wasn't led astray by his evil inclination. And there was no one more virtuous than him. All that the Malbim says about the word that he was Bachor. So we see again that even though the Jewish people were wrong to ask for a king, it wasn't the right time, it wasn't the proper motive, that doesn't mean that Hashem isn't going to choose the best possible person for the job. We see here from verses 1 and 2 that Saul has all the tools. He's got great lineage. He's got great character attributes. He's beautiful on the inside and on the outside. And that's what the Mitzudat David says on Bachor V'tov, Nivcha B'ma'asav. He was very special and chosen in his deeds. And on the outside, he was also very handsome. Now we know that at the end of the day, Saul will not be the king forever. Even if he was perfect and remained perfect and never sinned, we know that the kingdom eventually will come from Yehuda, not from Binyamin. So is this Saul doomed to fail since at the end of the day, the Malchut belongs to the tribe of Judah? I don't want to answer that question now. It's a question we have to relate to. It's a subject we're going to get into. Just know at this point, Saul is pretty flawless. He's head and shoulders above everyone else. There's nobody in Israel like him. Those are explicit verses here. Okay, let's move on to verse 3. Now the donkeys of Saul's father Kish, they got lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Take with you one of the servants and go and look for the donkeys. So Saul is asked by his father Kish to look for donkeys. When a herd of donkeys or sheep or anything like that gets lost, that's a big financial loss. We see immediately Saul's kibbutz av. He honors his father. He's going to go out and look for those donkeys. And that's what he does in verse 4. Vayavor bar Ephraim. And he passed through Mount Ephraim. Vayavor be'eretz shalisha. And then he passed through the land of shalisha. Velomatzau. And he didn't find anything. Vayavru be'eretz shalim. And then they pass through the land of Shalim. When we say they in the plural, we're talking about Saul and his servant. They pass through the land of Shalim. And there was nothing there. And then they pass through the land of Benjamin. But they couldn't find anything. And the beginning of verse 5 says they came to Eretz Suf. So let's look at the Maslu they went on. 
on the path that they took or the wild goose chase they took here. So the path was probably something like this. Obviously, they started out in the area of Benjamin. Shaul starts out from his hometown, northern Jerusalem, the area of today what's Giv'on or Geva, and started their way northwards to Harephraim, to Mount Ephraim, arrives at the area of Betel. Then he turns a little bit east until he gets to Eretz Shalisha, the land of Shalisha. He still can't find those donkeys, so he continues northwest till he gets to Be'eretz Sha'alim, the land of Sha'alim, which is close to what we call today Ofra. Still can't find them. And then it says he passes through the land of Benjamin, which is hard to understand because he departed from the land of Benjamin. So the Dat Mikras speculates that he's not in the area of Benjamin. He's still in Har Ephraim and Mount Ephraim. But because many of its residents are from the tribe of Benjamin, they call this area in Har Ephraim the land of Benjamin. But it's not like Saul and his servant went back home. Because we see in the next verse, they arrived at Eretz Tzuf, the land of Tzuf. Now Tzuf, if you remember, was the place where Elkanah lived. That was the opening verse in the book of Shmuel. There was a man from Ramatayim Tzufim, from Har Ephraim. So Shmuel is also living in the area of Elkanah, his father, which means that Saul, in his searchings, is getting very close to Shmuel and Avi. Now, before continuing, it might seem kind of funny that we were introduced to the man who was about to be the first king of Israel. And what's he doing? He's looking for donkeys. It doesn't sound very malchuti, very majestic. Now, when the people requested a king, we saw at the end of the last chapter that Shmuel agreed to do it. He sends everybody home and everybody goes home. And they're disappointed that they're not partners to the process of choosing who that king will be. Obviously, the people had in mind some really strong candidates. There were charismatic leaders out there, people who were already well-known, the Skenim, the elders, the Giborei Chayel, all kinds of men of valor and military leaders and so forth. But it's not going to be any of those candidates. No. So the people's request for a king is going to be answered, but it's going to be a different type of king. Not an imitation of what the nations present as their king. See, in Judaism, the king or any Jewish leader, he's measured by a totally different criteria. He has to be humble, honorable, somebody who doesn't want the high position in the first place. Somebody who runs away from the kavod, who's not looking for honor. Somebody who hates betza, unfair gain. Somebody who can't be bribed. So Saul is getting plucked out from his narrow world, from his bubble. The Bible is showing us that the first king of Israel that he's looking for donkeys is to show us he's from a different world than the elders and the established leadership then. He's looking for donkeys. That's the most non-Malchuti thing you can be doing that's so not royal. And know that with King David, it's going to be the same thing. He was also anonymous. He was much worse than anonymous. He was like a total outsider with really bad lineage at the get-go. Saul has lineage, he has gvura. It says his father Kish was a gibor chayel. We saw those verses. Saul himself is described as being head and shoulders above everybody else. So he has a lot more going from him than David did. And we saw he was a gibor chayel. Remember the men of Benjamin who wrestled the tablets from Goliath back in Shiloh when the Jews were defeated by the Philistines and he was the bearer of the tidings? That was Saul. That was the man of Benjamin mentioned who delivered the tidings to Eli. So Saul definitely is not anonymous like David was. But that doesn't mean he was a strong candidate to be the king. Let's put it this way. If you ask the people then, after Shmuel sent them home, and you asked them, who do you think will be the king that's chosen? If everybody wrote in their candidate, nobody would have guessed that it's going to be Saul. So yeah, we all saw the good things written about him in the first two verses, but he wasn't on the list of even the top 200 candidates. And so you have to know that when it comes to things like this, it's never somebody that you expect. 
These aren't things that somebody can predict because the Shem is looking at things totally different than we are. Let's move on to verse five. Vehemabau the Eretz Tzuf. Saul and his servant have arrived to that place called Eretz Tzuf. And we mentioned that was the home of Elkanah, the father of Shmuel in Araphraim. So unknowingly, they're wandering towards the place of Shmuel and Navi. So they arrive at this place, Eretz Tzuf, and it says, V'sha'ul o'mara And Saul said to the servant who was with him, V'chavan let's turn back. Let's turn back because my father won't be worrying about the donkeys anymore. He's going to start worrying about us. That's what Saul tells his servant. It's probably been days. They've been searching. They can't text anybody. The folks at home must be worried. So Saul suggests to his servant that they turn back because people are going to be worrying about us. In Hebrew, da'aglanu. Da'aga is worry. Now the sages latch on really strong to this sentence by Saul that he says here. That he says to his servant, they'll be worried about us. It sounds like some small thing, but the fact that he didn't say, they'll be worried about me. The sages say the very fact that he said to his servant, they'll be worried about us. That's why he merited to be the king. Because of his great humility, he put himself and his servant in the same category. And he said, they'll worry about us. That's why he became the king. Now you have to understand how to understand Midrashim. The sages aren't saying that he became the king because he said here in verse 5 that the folks are going to worry about us. But they want to show us that's who Saul is. That's a reflection of his overall humility. He doesn't consider himself more important than anybody else. And if he does, he's not going to show it. Certainly, Kish, Saul's father, is more concerned about Saul than his servant. But the point is this. The Jewish king is chosen by a totally different kind of criteria than we're used to. Who do we consider a leader today? Who becomes the president or the prime minister of a country? Usually a fellow who can make a really good speech. He's probably pretty arrogant to get where he is. In the West, we don't consider character attributes like humility to be a yardstick of a great leader. But it sure counts in Judaism. Moses, the Torah says, was the humblest of all men. Adnav mikol adam. And one of the reasons humility and modesty is such an important prerequisite because the king has so much power. We saw the Mishpat HaMelech. He's got almost unlimited power and everybody's going to be saying, Yechi HaMelech, long live the king. And if that king isn't naturally very humble and grounded in your Shamayim, then you're in for trouble. Hashem wants somebody who won't let all that authority to go to his head. And all this is a major takeaway from learning Bible, that you see what the criteria of a leader is because we've been so influenced by Western concepts and are pretty superficial when it comes to things like this. You know, we're looking for a rock star all the time. Anyway, we'll continue with Saul and his servant searching for those donkeys. And on his way to find those donkeys, Saul is going to run into something else. He's going to run into the Malchut.